This is Metal Mike, and it's time to revisit a great year for rock and metal, 1993. Yeah, I know, grunge, alternative, whatever, blah, blah, blah. There still was some great metal from this year, some of my favorite albums of all time. I'm joined by my buddy Ryan, and we talk through it all. Check it out. Ryan, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How are you, my friend? This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back again. No problem, man. Well, you know, I thought I was going to give you a little rest, you know, but... Then I started looking around, and I was looking at 1993, and I was shocked how good of a year it was of music. And I was like, "We got, we got to tell the world about this, man. We got to get to do another list." <laughs> Agreed, man. Like every time we talk about it, it's these albums and these years that come out. You don't realize they all came out in the same year. And hell, this is another one. This is fantastic. I love this year. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's weird because I, I thought 92 was so good. You know, I was like, ah, there's no way that 93 is as good as 92. I don't know, man. It might be better. Yeah, I think things tend your way a little bit here because you started getting into a little bit harder stuff around this time. Yeah. Where I'm still just com- completely sold out into the into the bubblegum pop. So <laughs> you'll see a lot of that from me. But not all of it. You'll be maybe some surprises. But I, I still, yeah, I'm still pretty hooked. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, man, I say we just jump into it. Let, let's hear what you got for 10. All right. Well, this is definitely not bubblegum pop. This is, like I said, one of the surprises. But what I'll say right now is number 10. Is one of your... Big guys here, Sabotage, Edge of Thorns. Ooh, nice. Yes. I, I know it. I know it. So, so I really, you know, obviously you and I talk about Sabotage a lot. I think you take the cake on being a bigger fan of Sabotage than I am. But I really like him. I, I obviously have other albums. And uh, this one, you know, I got to say, I don't know how I ever overlooked the song Miles Away. Oh. Um this is one of this is one of those just hidden gems on that album. And when I went back and I was doing a little research on this, I was like, "Damn, this is this is like a perfect song for me." You know, it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah. but I can't believe I overlooked it. So, you know, we got songs like that. Another one called "Lights Out" that I, I know you know. Uh, but then, obviously, the title track. There's this is one of those where the hit still resonates, and the hit's yeah. still one of those hits that you could really listen to a lot and go, "Damn, this never gets old." So. Yeah. Um, you know, his Zach's range is amazing. You know, there's not much I could say about this band or this album that you don't know. I know you've spoken to a lot of the members and yeah. uh, the stories the stories there for you. But uh, um, I think Zach Stevens fits in perfectly. I think he's got a, a fantastic voice, a great range, and that's exactly what this band needed at the time. Yep. I, I know it was like an amicable uh, breakup, if you will, or a separation, but um, it was... You know, this is this fit well. This is a singer change that went went well for once. <laughs> well, a couple points. First of all, 
I, this is definitely on my list. I wrote a book about it, so I'm, I won't say much about it right now. But I, I got a whole book about this uh, this uh, this album. But anyways, um, one thing I will say about <laughs> it though, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I have talked to uh, like probably half the people that were, were in the band that, that played on this album. But besides that, I think if I think back when I read that John Oliva was not going to be the singer of Sabotage anymore, you know what I mean? I was like, what? I mean, no, because singer changes. Let's face it. They rarely work out that well, you know what I mean. There's only a few documented times where where it's really worked out well. A lot of the other times, you know, the guy stays in for an album or two, he's gone, and then the other guy comes back. So this one was yeah, one of those exactly. ones where I was like, no man, John Oliva, he writes all the songs. He, you know, he's the voice of Sabotage. He's got such a unique voice. And then you bring in somebody else that was was cool because it, he didn't sound anything like him. He they did that on purpose, you know. They didn't want. I, you know, they got a lot of those people sending in demos that wanted to be John Oliva Part 2. They didn't want that. You know what I mean? They wanted somebody that right. sounded different. And it wasn't like these songs were written for John Oliva's voice. They were written for Zach Stevens' voice. So that's why it fits so well. It's not like you got this guy who's a little bit different trying to sing songs that were written for the other guy, you know, and then the guy bailed, so now we got to replace the vocals. It wasn't like that. Sabotage is a different kind of a beast. You know, I'll get more into that when I when I talk about this album. But this album, like you said, there's no hard feelings. John Oliva wrote all the songs along with Chris Oliva and Paul O'Neill. So the core team of writers from the albums prior is still there. It's just you got a couple, right. you, got, you got a different player um, on the you know for the vocals. But the rest of it, it's all the same guys, same writers. It's just it's a little bit of a change. And you know what, man? You're right. Edge of Thorns was like a minor hit for these guys. So how they pulled that out of their ass in 1993, I don't know. But um, we had we had a couple cool rocks radio stations out this way back in the day, and this song got played a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I think the reason why um, the albums from the early 90s um, for Sabotage and me or and I, I don't get along all that well is because I'm not the hugest on piano-driven hard rock. And I know, like, you're a big Queen fan yep. and uh, obviously a huge Sabotage fan. But I think that kind of it kind of aces me out a little bit because, yeah, the, the piano-driven stuff just doesn't exactly do it for me. And they do lace it a lot on this album, but it yeah. works. Yes. And, um, yeah, but I think it's not higher for me for that reason, but I yeah. still really enjoy it. And it, it goes to show the talent of this band, obviously. I mean, look what they turned into. Yeah. So, you know, major, major arena selling band at this point. So, anyway, um, that's my number 10. I figured I'd kick it off with a giant like that. Cool. Uh, I'm totally thumbs up. Support that, uh, support that album a lot. And um, for my number 10... I talked about this a little bit uh, in another podcast. That w- I think it was around. I think it was when Metallica came out, ninety uh, one. When we um, not when Metallica came out, but when the Black Album came out, when we did that podcast, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. we talked about that. Most of the world found out about. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what the, most of everybody else figured out who Metallica was. But it was um, it was a game changer, and we talked about all the bands that came out after them. That were like you know that were like them contemporaries like Testament and Overkill and Anthrax they all kind of tried their hand at making a little bit of a scaled down album after and I think that's what happened with Overkill with I Hear Black uh, it's definitely scaled back um, it probably integrates you know 
I've, I've, I've read that it, they, people call it like groove metal, uh, maybe some of the Sabbath influences coming through. You could also uh, attribute that to grunge. You know, I think there's some grunge elements in here. It's not a grunge album, but, you know, it, it fits more right. in that world than maybe the, the, the high-speed thrash they were doing on Horoscope. But um, I love it, man. I love the title track. Uh, world of her spiritual void and there's just one song and you i don't think you've ever heard this maybe you have but go check out the song ignorance and innocence it's got the coolest chorus it totally sounds like it could just be like you know like hair metal but like heavy i don't know it's just real catchy and i feel like you know, okay. with all these bands, you know, they kicked up their game with melodic uh, metal. You know what I mean? They were, they were a lot more melodic, uh, a lot more catchier, and, um, you know, they were trying to be a little bit more accessible. What, whether that was by their own choice or, you know, like Atlantic Records told them that's what you guys need to do. But uh, I, I love I Hear Black. I can listen to that whole thing all the way through. It's, it, it's a cool album. And they added, okay. uh, they added an extra guitar player. I think they lost the guitar player that was on Horoscope, and then they added two guys. Um, I might be wrong on that, but I know they added an additional guitarist uh, around. Actually, no, I think I'm completely wrong. I think they added the additional guitarist to the album before this. So, all right, I'm just going to stop now. <laughs> all right, no worries. Yeah, I, I think I own everything up to this. Oh, okay. Because I, I have, yeah, I got uh, Under the Influence, and what's the oh the years of decay years of the case and horoscope yeah I don't think I have I hear black so I have okay. to check that especially you said um, ignorance and innocence is yeah. one to check out huh you you would love it you're okay. gonna love that song all right killer yeah I'll check that out. I got yeah I, I I look forward to that because sometimes like I said I like to turn it up a little bit and, yeah and play that kind of stuff you know like about as hard as it gets for me sometimes is racer X so maybe this will <laughs> this will do the trick <laughs> and the last tidbit is that. Per Wikipedia, not my own knowledge, they they say uh-huh. that this is still Overkill's most successful selling album. So, so the change did really? did help them a little bit. Once again, they didn't they weren't yeah, they weren't quadruple platinum level or anything, but they, they this album is the highest selling in their catalog. So, all right, killer number number nine. All right, number nine. I got a, a a band called Crown of Thorns. You ever heard of them? Mm-mm. No, let's hear about these guys. Never heard of them. Okay, yeah, it's it's um so it's a self titled album, Crown of Thorns. Um, got a guy named Jean Bourgeois, I think is a um how you pronounce it, but uh, oh, yeah, he was the singer guitar player. Uh-huh. Um, you might recognize his name because yes, he wrote on Kiss Asylum. Yep. So um, he's got, uh, he, he's this dude, he looks killer. He's got this big old bleach blonde, outrageous <laughs> mohawk mullet. It's it's killer, dude. You I think he still it. has it. Look him up. I think, that's his, I think that's his claim to fame. I think he still has it. That is it. That's got to be his trademark. Yeah, he does still have it. But uh, he was in a really cool band called Voodoo X. It's a ripper from 89. Um, he's got some, some solo stuff out there, too, but it's a lot more 80s pop sounding than, uh-huh. than anything like hard rock. But, um, yeah, so he did the Kiss thing. He was a songwriter. I believe he owns record label now. Um, 
but this album's laced with the real catchy melodic tunes. It's it's kind of it's kind of getting nineties ish slash like uh, living color funkish, but it stays very melodic hard rock. Um, you you probably either recognize or you'll gravitate towards a song called "Dying for Love." Yeah. I don't remember where I first heard it, but it wasn't on this album. It was like on a a soundtrack or something. It's mm-hmm. kind of a bigger song than just on this album. But yeah, "Dying for Love." Secret Jesus, House of Love, and Hike It Up. There's a lot of, it, it's just basically tongue-in-cheek, yeah. hard rock, um, laced with kind of big, bigger choruses, bigger catchy catchy stuff. So um, I dig it. I think it's a freaking cool album. Um, the album cover is very early 90s-ish. I think mm-hmm. that's about as sell-out 90s as they got because the rest of it's about as 80s as it gets, which <laughs> I like, obviously. So uh, yeah, check it out. No, I never heard of that. And, you know, I guess the sad p- part of what, what you're talking about here is that this is what happened to a lot of bands is, is you know, if you weren't a heavy hitter hitter at this point, you kind of got lost in the shuffle. You know, I mean, this was a great album that probably would have done well uh, a couple years prior, but now it's like, forget about it. If you're coming in with the kind of the 80s uh, melodic sound, you got no chance. You know what I mean? I know it. And like I said, I can't remember what success or where else the song Dying for Love I heard it on, but... Yeah, I can't, I don't know where it was, but I, like I said, I think it was more than just discovering the album and being like, that's a cool song. It was like, hmm, I heard it somewhere else first, and then I went back to the album. So mm-hmm. I'll figure that one out, but uh, you might like it. I think it's, it's a, it, it might fit your taste these days. Cool. I, I will definitely check it out, man. Uh, my number nine. You know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, why hasn't this band ever hit a list before? And they've been omitted from lists uh, that I've done in the past. Not that I didn't like their albums, but I, they didn't—they weren't top ten worthy. Uh, but now with this okay. one, uh, I got Saigon Kick Water at number nine, and and I ah, I, I okay. love I love this album. Uh, a lot of interesting things are happening. The band becomes a three-piece. Uh, singer Matt Kramer's out, and Jason—I think it's you say it Beeler. I've never heard anybody say his name because for a while I think he was just Jason. Yeah. I think he was Jason at some point. He just was Jason, then he was Jason Beeler. But um, he does lead vocals on this, and really, you know, he was big vocally on the other albums because there there's so there were so many harmonies on the other two albums that it's not like his voice is completely foreign uh he i think he was writing most of the songs on those albums too so to me this doesn't sound like a drastic change you know if you were really into their other albums i don't know why you couldn't listen to this and, and still enjoy it uh my buddy chris mcclernan is on bass from cold sweat so so he got into saigon kid uh, at this point and um dude this album reminds me so this is where you might, you might not be able to on board with this, but this is a lot like a Beatles or Queen album because it's all over the board. You know what I mean? You got funky stuff, yeah. you got trippy stuff, metal, electronic. You know what I mean? It is all over the board, and that's I like that kind of stuff. I, I actually do enjoy when an album goes in all different kinds of weird directions, and. Um, uh-huh. It's just, especially the song On and On, it's like a real, it's just like an acoustic, funky song, and Sentimental Girl, that's where they're kind of integrating like that 40s or, or 20s, or you know, that ragtime uh, guitar, so, you know, he's definitely got some oh, big time Beatles and Queen stuff going on, Sergeant Steve, One Step Closer is a hard rocker, that's a good song, I, there's a song called I Love You, and it's it's pretty touching, but anyways, um, oh, the, the, the okay. lyrics, he's, really, the lyrics are cool, man, there's a lot of sarcasm in there. And they cover um, 
David Bowie's Space Oddity. And, and I don't know, it's okay, but that never really stood out that much to me. But the rest of the songs are great. I, actually, it, it is my favorite album by them. So uh, actually, Devil in the Details right yeah. after this is pretty good too. But I think for me, this is my favorite album by them. And a lot of people will be like, no, man, The Lizard, The Lizard. But I'm sorry, I like this better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I, I only have the first two. I don't even know this album, dude. I, don't, I might have it mm-hmm. just because I saw it and I was like, oh, I'll complete the collection. But I, I've never even heard it. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is one of those another homework assignment I gotta check out. You should just check it out just to just so you you know know of of its existence. <laughs> but because uh, a lot of people exactly. don't, it was a big drop off. You know what I mean? Like they got they were the one they were one of the ones where honestly maybe a, a name change would have would have helped because this album could have flown right under the you know the radar. It, it could have been like an alternative album. You know what I mean? That's the kind of the way that it is. Um, but because they're called Saigon Kick, they got grouped into you know the hair metal thing, and, and nobody gave it a chance. But yeah, so definitely yeah. some really awesome tunes, a lot of growth, very experimental. It's it's definitely weird, but I enjoy it. So I'm weird, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember hearing the knock the knock a lot on the lizard because everybody pigeonholed him as headband with love is on the way right. and they hated that they hated it they didn't want to be labeled that at all and that album isn't it you know that's, no. that's very much like more cultish like hard yep. rock kind of out there stuff totally than, than your typical hair band if you will so i like that like feel the same way and all those songs yeah. they still have big catchy choruses yeah. I, I really dig it that's why i'm into that album but i remember those guys really not digging the fact that they're getting lumped into to, to the rest of them yeah you know, one thing I got to throw out there right now, and, and this album is an example of it, and there's going to be some other examples as we get going. What we were getting, and we got this in '92 as well, like with Doggy Dog. But these are the evolution albums, right? So these we're watching the bands grow, but they're growing with their talent and with their experimentation and all that stuff and heaviness. But commercially, they're dying. You know what I mean? And you're going to see that. I got a few of them like yeah. that. You know what I mean? That this is this is definitely a leftover. Like kind of a situation from '92. You, you you got a lot of growth, but man, not not commercial growth, not at all. Yep, totally good point. Number eight. All right, number eight. I gotta put another one of these in. I'm putting a live album in. I'm sorry. I'm going Van Halen live right here, right now. I have to do it. You will find any opportunity to put Sammy Hagar <laughs> on a freaking list. So, all right. Let's, what's so great about this album? I want to hear it. <laughs> oh, dude. I think they've made every list. So, um, <laughs> so the album and tour, huge album. Yeah. My favorite Sammy Era album they're supporting with Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge. Huge tour. Started off just double dates everywhere. Um, great opening bands. They started off in the height of hard rock in 91. Just the hard rock perfection in that era. And then they ended in that shit-ass grunge era in 93 and they released this album. Mm-hmm. So, but they had, you know, they had Alice in Chains opening, Hardline and the Vince Neil band. So, yeah, yeah pretty cool well, well, uh, diversity of opening bands. So that's nice, but um, great set list, huge production, huge album, double CD, killer home video, and they played my favorite Sammy Era song in Cabo Wabo live on this album. So 
you know, other than that, this is the last time the band was actually happy. You know, they started to really go downhill during the balance uh, recording and then the the subsequent tour. But um, it's just good to see them clicking on stage and playing to huge audiences. Not that they didn't after this, but, you know, really, really big audiences that were still oriented from the the 80s-ish Van Halen. So, anyway, I... I, this is like one of the earlier Van Halen um, videos I, I owned, so I got to see them live a lot and uh, study what they do on stage. So anyway, I love this album. They pull out some surprises, and, and it was just so big, and they had such a big big opening acts and everything too, so I had to put it in there. Cool, man. I, 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 told, I mean, I'm getting used to this kind of stuff, so I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't worry. That's the last time. The rest of it will be Until we do the 1995 uh, episode, and then we got bail. All right, balance comes out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, number one album of 1995, Balance. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so number eight. Um, we talk about people evolving and changing, and I don't think it gets any more of an evolution here than fight, man. War of words with Rob Halford. I mean, Rob must have kind of known, man. He, he had his finger on the pulse that, like, Judas Priest ain't going to fit in with this new era. At least he, maybe that's what he was thinking. Or he just wanted to take a detour. I don't really know what was going on there, but he brought Scott Travis with him, and, man... It's a killer album, and what's funny is I feel like like I think the Halford uh, Resurrection and this are two of his coolest albums. You know what I mean? I'm not to take away from the Priest stuff, but I, I love both of these, and it's just song after song. I mean, maybe as you get to the end, it might pitter out, you know, peter out a little bit. But Into the Pit, um, Life in Black, Nailed to the Gun, Immortal Sin. I mean, I just I can just listen to these songs all day you know what i mean and it was cool because he had like these kind of younger dudes in the band doing the gang vocals and he was kind of taking care of all the high stuff you know and and he was a little bit more raspier i'll never forget watching mtv they actually played in the mtv studio once again kind of strange because the time had kind of passed for these kind of people but but uh mtv gave him a shot and i just remember you know he's wearing shorts (laughs) he's wearing a Mm t-shirt people got flannels tied around their waist you know it definitely was not the uh, turbo days anymore. You know what I mean? Things had changed. Yeah, no. And if anybody doesn't know this, it, it took a while for me to discover this, but I, I did know it, um, that Russ Parrish uh, on guitar uh, is in Steel Panther. What's his name in Steel Panther? What's he, Satchel or some shit? What's his name in Steel Panther? Oh, really? Yeah, that's him. I didn't know he was in that band. Yeah. Yep. So he was in Fight. That was that, I think that was the first pro gig that he ever did. But... uh that's what wow. I got, man. Fight. That's uh, a cool album. Dude, I dig it. I've had it for years. Um, I like the album cover. I like the theme. It's hard as shit. My guitar player, my buddy Todd, he, he was at a fight show when this album came out, and they did not play a single Judas Priest song. It was all fight the entire time. And people were tripping. They thought that they at least play a couple, maybe even an encore. Not a one. Wow. So, he was pretty dedicated to this at that time. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. But I dig it. 
Good album. Yeah. Hard shit. Way different than Priest. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you gotta give Halford credit, you know what I mean? Well, maybe you don't have to give him credit, because in a lot of ways, you can look at it two ways, okay? You could look at it like, you know, he experimented and he tried some different things. You gotta give him credit for that. Or you could look at him as like he's kind of like a poser or something that he that he jumped on bandwagons to, to try to stay successful. You know what I mean? He you know he did this at the prime time of of Allison Chains and, and Pantera. You know he, he you know he was he was on the right track of what was in, but then he turned around and he did two with uh, with Trent Reznor. You know what I mean? So it's like I guess you could you could I don't know I don't look at him like as a poser. I just look at him with somebody who kind of is open to um, different styles of music and. Uh, not everybody is when it comes to metal. Some of our metal buddies are, are very close. Sometimes I'm kind of close-minded, so I give them credit for trying some different stuff. Yeah, I don't see him as a poser at all. That guy pretty much sets the trends, and I think everybody was probably in awe of what he was doing at, at all times. Yeah. So I totally agree there. Yep. What do you got for seven? All right, seven. Okay, so I got a guy named Jeff Paris. Not sure if you heard of Jeff Paris, but this I is an album called Lucky This Time. Uh-huh. Yeah, so Jeff Paris, he's a killer songwriter. He started in the mid-80s. Um, he did, uh, you know that song, Gotta Let Go, by Lita Ford? I don't think I know that one. What album is it on? Uh, it's on the, the, God, the 84. I can't remember what it's hmm. called. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but the... Uh, the single with Gotta Let Go, it's it's killer, dude. It's definitely my favorite Lita Ford song, and, and it's a ripper. Great chorus. Um, he worked with Y&T at this time as well. They brought him in. Uh, record company brought him in to uh, try to pump up Y&T a little bit. And, uh, you know, the boys in Y&T were super fun, but they got along great, and uh, they just needed that, that outside writer. But uh, he also worked on uh, Night Songs back mm-hmm. in 86. So... Um, he's been around a lot. He's done some stuff with Vixen, uh, Mr. Big. So, uh, but this this album kicks off with this epic, epic melodic rock ripper called "Lucky This Time," which is also the title of the album. Basically, if he had just put this song out and farted in the microphone for the rest of the album, this still would have made my top ten. That's how killer <laughs> this song is, dude. So it was recorded by Mr. Big on their "Lean Into It" album. But, um, and the versions are pretty much identical. There's some, like, timing differences, but this this is the standout song for me on uh, Lean Into It by Mr. Big, and this is definitely a standout song. It's, like I said, the title track, um, first song on the album. But this is, um, he's basically, after, like, kind of researching this again, I realized that this is soundtrack music. Like, this is... Like, no wonder he's a songwriter. This Every song could be on a soundtrack of, like, a hard rock soundtrack, but, like, with that little bit of pop touch, every song has hit potential, really. So um, if you check it out, you know, uh, gravitate towards Lucky This Time, Wrong Side of Love, House on Fire, Touched by Love is, like, this very, very mid-tempo hard rocker. Um, Stop Playing With My Heart and Baby Break Mine. It's just... Every song, you just go, okay, that's a hit. It's like, it's like remember when we did the 91, I was talking about Kane Roberts. Yeah. It's like, you know, I remember you saying, like, every song kind of sounded the same, mm-hmm. if you will, just big, catchy, huge choruses. That's how this album is. So I fall for it <laughs> every time, you know. But it's every time. It's great. Every, I got it. I fall for it every time. It, it, they, they knew how to hook me, and they, they, they hooked me, and they, they, never, I, they didn't catch and release, man. They, this one still got me. So 
But this guy, he's consistent. He's got, I think his first album was 86, 88, and then this one. Um, but he was busy, you know, he was writing. He was more so a songwriter. His voice is good, but it's not incredibly strong. It's uh-huh. a, he's got a good voice, obviously, but it's not huge, huge strong. But he was a hell of a songwriter. He wrote for a lot of other bands. So I highly suggest checking out Jeff Paris, Lucky This Time. I remember that you put, you put Jeff Paris on the 86 list, didn't you? I don't know if I did, actually. Um, well, this came up with somebody because whatever album he did where the songs ended up on the Vixen album. So somebody talked about this this album. I remember this. Well, oh, yeah, so okay. maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was um maybe it was somebody else. Sorry, I don't mean to like bring up other people during the podcast. Oh, <laughs> but unbelievable. I mean, this, <laughs> this came up. I just remember this. Somebody said he did an album in the eighties and then Vixen took they re recorded some of his songs. So so I've heard of I've heard uh, of Jeff Paris yeah. before on here, so Yeah, yeah. He he's got kind of songs laced everywhere and, and he's true to form. I did hear an interview with him in the last couple of years and, and he you know, I think they asked him like what's the best song you've ever written? And it was a very eighties catchy song off of uh, his eighty six album Wired Up and I was like, Damn, good. Like I'm glad he isn't embarrassed or like you know, thinking about that being too eighty sounding, like he's still very proud of his stuff. So nice. it probably earned him a hell of a living at that point too. So good on him. <laughs> yep, yep. So number seven, man. I'm going scorpions, face the heat, and uh, a boy. This is, you know, I'll be honest. When I first heard Alien Nation, I was like, wow, here we go. And once again, like we said, everybody, everybody's getting heavy, man. 92, 93, Kiss, uh, you know, Ozzy, Scorps. Everybody's kind of kicking it up a little bit. Um, but I got to admit, once I got this, this one kind of took a while to, to really sink in. But I but I always loved Alien Nation. No Pain, No Gain kicks major ass. Um, I like the song Ship of Fools. So that's a more of a deeper track. And, of course... Even though for a while I kind of hated this song, but now I like it. It's under the same sun because I'm like these bastards. They want to write when to change part two, and you know try try their luck at another one of these uh, you know kumbaya ballad type songs. But um, it, it's it's actually now I do really like this. I do really like under the same sun. It's pretty catchy, and uh, I think this album is Francis Butchalf's is out. out. And like Ralph Rickenbacker or somebody is on base, so there's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that constant '80s lineup gets shaken up at this point. And I think shortly after this, I think Herman uh, Rarebell is out too on drums. So, and that's when James uh, Kotak comes in. But um, yeah, man, I, yeah. I, I dig, I dig that. I mean, once again, anytime a band that I love kind of updates their sound and the production gets a little heavier, I'm always down. Totally. Uh, no comment on this album. Yes, I, I figured. I was gonna say this has got to be. This has to be on your list. I know you love this album. Oh, All right. it's there. So uh, let's go to six. All right, number six. I got Winger Pole. Ah, nice. so. Uh, I know you might have no comment. I know we'll, we'll see, but uh, so we. I mean, I know I like to kind of talk about the bands with the big three. You know, they're yep. the big three albums in their heyday. You got Warrant, you got White Lion, you got Europe, you got Danger Danger, you got House of Lords. These bands that came out with the 
big three albums that came out anywhere from like you know mid eighties to early nineties. Yep. And then after that, you're like, Ugh, come on. But this is the last of the big three for Winger, in my opinion. But they pulled it off very nicely, getting that little harder and raw, raw, more raw image and sound in their music and appearance. So they had that that great sound. Uh, these tunes go over really well live. I saw them in 2000. God, got to be like 14. And they played a few of these songs live. And dude, I will tell you that the audience reaction to these songs were almost as great as the, uh, you know, the big hits, the easy come, easy goes and the 17th, etc. But, um, I kind of want to admit that the consistency of the winger albums is always amazing, obviously. Yeah. But this one is like so consistent. And in doing a little bit more research on this, I'm going, damn, like, is this the most consistent? I'm not sure. Uh-huh. But they got so many tracks. You got Junkyard Dog, Blind Revolution, Magic, Down in Cogito, which yep. I believe was the only single. Yep. Um, and then some of the kind of deeper ones was The Lucky One and No Man's Land. So basically, if an 80s band as killer and catchy and hooky as Winger's first two uh, want to get a little raw and harder. This is this is when they nailed it, you know. So it's just like a doggy dog. A doggy dog just got harder and more electric and yeah. and bigger and and killer. Like like we talked about, this album was a you know you got it's a little bit more laced with some um, like electrified acoustic, if you will. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I mean, Reb Reb is it, it shows with the direction that each band member is kind of gonna gonna be going in, and that is a lot deeper than your little dirty blonde or your hanging on or something like that. That's the shit that I love, obviously from the first two, but look at Kip now. He's a composer. Look at Reb now. He's one of the most, uh, sought after session guitarist slash live guitarist slash please be in my band. So <laughs> they just nailed it on this album. So anyway, I I think that they they pulled it off very nicely in '93. Yeah, sometimes he's known as CF Winger, CF Kip Winger, and when he's his uh, when he's a maestro, you know what I mean? When he does his orchestra stuff. So exactly. Um, uh, but I strangely enough, I have Winger at number six as well. And uh, oh, cool! Yeah, I, I love this album. Now, here's what's weird: I I don't think this was a single, but like I said, there was a it was a sh- tiny tiny window where we had a really cool radio station around here, and I remember hearing Blind Revolution Mad on the radio. So I don't know if somebody just sent them the, with the Winger CD and they just played it you know, like a song, but um, that I remember hearing that I was just like, this is killer, man! It's heavy, it's and it's so catchy. Um, and then I remember I think you had to stay up till like four in the morning. Uh, just on a, like a Wednesday night to catch Down Incognito on MTV. I think I did see it one time. Oh, yeah. uh, but that that is a great single. My wife, I got to mention, she loves Winger and she loves that song. So I got to give a shout out to my wife, Lori. Anyways, um, but yeah. Sp- oh, good. Spell I'm Under, Junk yeah. Your Dog, In My Veins. I mean, you mentioned you know all the same ones that I love. And uh, it's a great tr- it's yeah. a great album, man. Once again, that was one of those ones, you know, like you said. They they you know they started off with kind of like almost you know, like a typical sound that came out maybe in the mid '80s and they just kept growing and growing and then they got to this and like we said before in, in some of the other episodes like if this was a major album man what I would have loved to see the next one and then one thing I got to mention is there was like this also in my area there was like this sleaze ball um, promoter 
and he was going to bring Winger to right around where I live, you know. And I was like, oh, geez, I mean, if they're going to be local, I got to go see Winger, you know. And I remember you had to prepay for tickets. I bought a ticket, and then the whole thing fell through, and you could write in disposably to get your money back, but I never got my money back. So, Winger, I don't blame you. It was just a sleazeball promoter. So I'm still waiting for my refund for my pool pool tour. Uh, I was probably going to be like in a pool hall or something because, you know, it was just there was no no audience anymore for this kind of stuff. But the album kicks ass. It's great. I love it. You know what? A couple things to add about this one. The uh, Down Incognito, I think one of the reasons why it's such an audience favorite now is because you can sing along to it. Yeah. Pretty much every bit of that song, from what I recall, being in the audience, the whole audience was singing the very spaced out uh, verse, Yep. the very spaced out pre-chorus and the chorus, and it's not too high, and you can't, you can't just, you know, it's really easy to distinguish what he's saying in between the notes. And I do have to credit as much as it hurts me to do so, Paul Stanley, (laughs) in saying that what's going to sound best in a giant arena? Yeah. It's going to be the songs like, like, or some sugar on me or, uh, crazy nights, et cetera, that have those spaces between the parts that you could really get the audience into. And after that show, Kip came out into the audience and he obviously was a club show, and he was taking pictures of people and signing things, and he was so freaking polite, he actually stopped some people that were trying to butt in and said, oh, I think these guys are next to take their picture with me. And I'm two guys, you know? Like, yeah. Kip Winger says, like, he's fighting for two guys, me and my buddy, to, to put his arms around me and take a picture with and, and, like, recognize who's next in line. Like, give me a break. This guy's freaking polite and talented. <laughs> anyway, so... I have a really cool picture with him, and, and he was just, he was stand-up guy, obviously. So nice. I, I love me some Kip Winger. All right, man. Number five. Yeah, okay. Number five. Here's a band that's come up on the 91, and it's Harem Scarum yeah. uh, in Mood Swings. Yeah, so... Harem Scarum's a Canadian band, like I talked about earlier, and they are just epic musicians. Um, started in the late 80s and um, got their first major album out in 91, but this is their, obviously, 93 album. Um, almost every song on this album could have been a single. Um, Harry Hess is the singer, and if you want to hear range, this is the guy. He goes from low to high like no other, and it's a song called If, uh, if There Was a Time. And... Um, he just goes to the stratospheric level of high, but he can sure sing low. It's, it's a really cool mid-tempo song. Um, but this is the band, yeah, so we talked about it uh, in 91 when uh, their drummer has a fantastic voice as well. He sings live, I'm sorry, he sings lead on a um, the song called Sentimental Boulevard on this album, and he's the guy that went on to sing for Jakey Lee's Red Dragon Cartel. Mm. So a few other standouts for me, at least, are uh, No Justice, super powerful song, um, Stranger Than Love and a song called Jealousy. It's kind of a um, twangy mid-tempo song, but obviously their choruses are all humongous. So they're still at it today. Um, still very talented. I believe they re-recorded this album, um, and it wasn't that long ago. It definitely wasn't 90s. It was sometime in the 2000s, and they put it out, and uh, they still got it, man. So nice. uh, this is one of those... Um, not for any other North America still, but like there's a band called Goddard and there's a band called Thunder that are both like 
huge in Europe area, but not big in America. This is kind of like the same thing with harem scam, where big in Canada, I think fairly popular in Japan, super talented, still at it. Uh, so they've, they've made a long career, and, and, and there's a reason for it. So I, I highly suggest this album. Nice. I remember Harem Scarum coming up on one of the other podcasts, their 91, but I definitely never heard their, their 93 offering, so I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, I'd say it's stronger. I mean, right. I know 91 had a lot of like more 80s-ish pop hits. This is a little bit more ballsy, and it's got more lower end on it, but dude, like, I'm telling you, there's about, there's about two songs on the album that maybe couldn't be hits the rest of them are huge songs so give it a shot nice nice man all right number five i feel like i got a lot of heavy hitters i feel like this was the same with 92 but uh i got do uh strange highways and this is all right. this is probably gonna piss Dio people off, but this is my favorite Dio album. I don't care. I love this album, man. Wow, uh, really? I, oh yeah, my god! I okay. love it. I love I love Tracy G's playing. Um, I got to talk to him on the podcast before, and he was a really cool guy. A lot of cool stories about this era and, and the uh, the album that followed. But and Jeff Paulson from Dokken is involved. He's the bass player on this album, and we got um, Vinny Vinny Apice on drums so you know just great great stuff and uh if you ever want to see these guys in action there is a live um dvd from this tour you can watch all of it on um youtube but man there's a killer they're all on fire and of course ronnie james Dio. i mean it doesn't get any better with the vocals and and uh his lyrics the title track um strange highways is a standout it definitely kind of reminds you of like the song heaven and hell you know it, it seems kind of deep you know, looking at life as like going on this strange highway, which makes a lot of sense. But um, I think as you get going, you know, once again, this is no different than what we talked about with Kiss Revenge um, and the Scorps and all that kind of stuff. You definitely feel like he's deliberately trying to, to heavy it up a bit. Not that Dio isn't always oh, heavy, yeah. but but this is heavier than something yeah. like Sacred Heart or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, and I think the album, I actually like it as it progresses. A lot of times I feel like, They've always put the strongest stuff at the beginning, and then it kind of gets a little bit weaker. But I actually, I think it's all, actually, I love the whole album. I can listen to the whole thing. But my my favorites are like Blood from a Stone, One Foot in the Grave, Bring Down the Rain, Here's to You. Here's to You is really cool. It's, it's pretty fast, you know what I mean? And uh, I mean, Dio's always been known for doing some fast ones, especially on his first couple. But uh, I, I love this album. Yeah. His, like I said, his voice, he, he's, you can tell. He's, we talked about this when I talked with Tracy G., you know, you could tell he was really trying to lay it on with, with like a menacing voice. He, you know, he sounds a little bit nastier than usual. The riffs are, you know, it's tuned down to D, I think, or maybe even lower than D. You know, and there's a lot. He's Tracy G does a lot of crazy sound effects. Some Dio fans didn't like that, but uh, I love it, man. I, I think it's his best. So this one made my honorable mention. I almost had it up there, like number nine or ten or something. Mm-hmm. I. I listened to your Tracy G interview. Was there something about like guitar solos? Was he talking about yeah. not 
Yeah, he had free reign on this album, and then basically he was told the next album, where this at this point grunge was in full swing, and he was told that there wasn't going to be hardly any guitar solos on Angry Machines because, you know, that's not in anymore. And then I think the, at the end, the, the piece that got a lot of a notice from this interview was he basically was told that he could be rhythm and Craig Goldie was going to come back in and he was like, oh, hell no. And he goes, there's no way I'm, I'm mm, you know, and, and, and then it was funny then, then, you know, for those who don't know this, Craig Goldie jumped into the comments of that video and said, oh, I, you know, that's not the way it was. You know, we would have been together. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have been, you know, second fiddle. And Craig Goldie was really courteous about it. He was like, I would have loved to played with that guy. You know what I mean? So where Tracy G was kind of like, oh, Craig Goldie. Yeah, right. Craig Goldie was like, dude, yeah. I, I love Tracy G. I think we would have been great together. So if you ever go down the wormhole of the 80s glam model cast, check out the interview with Craig Goldie. Check out the interview with Tracy G. And there's just a mini clip where Tracy G talks about the uh, that getting demoted stuff. So, yeah, so that you're right. That, this, this topic around this era has come up on the podcast. Yeah, and I, I think maybe another reason why I didn't have it, and I, have, and I really toyed with it, to be honest, very important to me, by the way. <laughs> I had it in my honorable mention was it is a little darker and scarier and yeah. heavier. And, and yeah, Dio, Dio was like that. His voice can be that um, medieval, pissed off, deep, angry. But for me, the not, not poppy, obviously, because he's never poppy, but a little bit more catchiness, even mm-hmm. of like a We Rock or yeah. a Sacred Heart album is like kind of what where I gravitate towards. And then they kind of brought it back a little bit with the the latter albums, you know, even from like Magicka on. Uh-huh. But I always attribute that to my boy Simon Wright from ACDC coming back <laughs> in at Magicka. <laughs> <Right. day. laughs> so I got to throw that in there. I think those and are the I ones that, uh, Sammy, I think Sammy Hagar hopped out on those albums, I think. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> awesome, yeah. That's, that's like oil and water. <laughs> right on. Well, good pick. Uh, I don't even know what's going on. I think I'm so lost. I, I even went down a wormhole in my own mind on this one. Okay, I think we're at number four. So what do you got for four? All right, number four, I got Death Leopard Retroactive. All right, so okay. this was yeah, this is one of those that um, you know, some call it, some used to kind of like kind of shit on it and call it a placeholder or, or whatever. But you know, they're coming fresh off of the Adrenalize album. Um, Steve Clark passed away, but then they put out this kind of retrospective of their B sides and some of the songs they recorded for other people and other artists, but. Um, you got a couple songs here, uh, Desert Song, Fractured Love, those are kind of cutting room floor songs, but one song I wanted to kind of highlight is a song called I Want to Be Your Hero, and that was a B-side off of Hysteria, and it's like, really? Like, this is a B-side? This song didn't make the album because there was too many strong songs on Hysteria? Like, this song, I Want to Be Your Hero, could be any other band's crown jewel. Like, it's it's that big and catchy and perfect. And Death Leopard said, nah, it's not quite good enough for Hysteria. We already have eight singles. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they maybe were going to save this one. And they saved it for this album. It, it came out and it was probably slightly ignored. But 
There's also a song called She's Too Tough, and that was written for Helix, but this song is in my Def Leppard top five songs of all time. It's It's got that, so Joe Elliott can kind of get up to this intensity and he does it on the, on the second side of hysteria where he can just live there. And Elliott's voice just, it's up in this stratospheric range and it just stays there and he doesn't have to move, it doesn't budge, it's perfect. So, it, you know, like I said, it's post Steve Clark death and, and really the end of that 80s era Def Leppard. And to me, it almost fits in as like one of my favorite Def Leppard albums, but it's not truly a studio album. It's, you know, it's not a best of either. It's just more of the kind of B-side stuff. But at that time, they were still so big they could do that. And it worked out well because these are all very finished songs. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, they recorded a few for other bands. They re- redid and either omitted acoustic or electric on this album. So anyway, this is this is one of those songs that or albums that came out in, in 93 and Death Leopard was so big that still was kind of big, but not as big as it could be in like 90 or 91. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember this coming out, but once again, never been huge into Leopard, so this was one I didn't need in my collection. So, so I uh, I don't know much about this one. No worries. Um, so number four, man. I gotta go with my boys, Poison. Native Tongue. Uh, I think a lot of people forget this album came out in 93 or there's some people that might want to just forget about this album entirely. But um, I'll be honest, I didn't get it when it came out. I I remember hearing Stand and I was thinking like, whoa, what what are we doing now? We're doing gospel, gospel metal? What is this? I didn't know what was going on when they had all the singers and their stuff. So I kind of stayed away, you know, and I, like I said, I, I was kind of going down some different paths of different music that I was getting into at that point. So I didn't, I didn't really need this album in the collection. And then what happened was yeah. with all these albums, a lot of these, like especially um, Native Tongue and, and Vince Neil Exposed, you know, they made too many of them. They didn't sell. So you could go to like a cheapy rack, or I used to call it the cheapy racks, and you could buy this thing for $1.99 on a cassette or something like that. So that's what I did yeah. probably about a year after it came out. And I remember listening to it and thinking like, no, nope, don't like this album, you know? And for some reason, it took years. I don't even know when it finally kicked in with this album. And I don't know why I kept trying to push myself to like this album. Um, but it did happen. And and I, this album has grown on me over the years. And I feel like it just gets better, you know, over time. You know, you kind of have a different perspective is maybe the older you get when you listen to it and you look at it. Um, and if you think about it, if you think about um, Look What the Cat Dragged In, to flesh and blood there's a lot of change musically right um they're they're definitely evolving they've even as early as open up and say ah they're integrating some bluesier stuff in there and i do think that if you go from flesh and blood to this it is pretty much just like a natural progression if you think about it you know what they were doing on there this is would make the the the, the right step you know they're basically doing uh bluesy metal and I think the catchiness is all still there. You know, when you listen to songs like um, Stay Alive, Body Talk, um, Seven Days, man, well, that's catchy as hell. I love the, how it starts off with the chorus, uh, Blind Faith, right, Child Ride. Um, there's just so many cool songs, but they're, they're kind of deeper. you got to go deeper on this album to kind of hear all these songs. Um, and one song i got to give credit to, man, it's got one of their coolest hooks 
it's um, fire and ice until you suffer some. That chorus, yeah. the pre-chorus into the chorus, it's so good, man. And, and like I love that song, and that's such an underrated tune. But um, you know, well, let's address. You know, we had a lineup change. CC Deville is out. Richie Kotzen is in. I, you know, for what they were doing, for what they were up against with the times, I like it, man. He brought a new dimension. He's a great guitar player. He's a great singer. I think. I think people say that this is like his solo album that that Poison basically recorded or something. I don't know if that's if that's true or not, but um, he, you could tell he was playing a big role in what was going on. But like I said, I think they were leaning this way, anyways. And the only thing I got to say, though, and I don't know why this has been stuck in my head, probably because I was just thinking about it. There's this one line in, um, I think it's in Stay Alive. It goes, get it, got it, better get it now. And I always thought that could be in a commercial. I always thought that sounded so cheesy. It sounded yeah. like, like, you know, we got fresh steaks at the, the Texas Roadhouse. Get it, got it, better get it now. So, so there's some goofy stuff on there. But um, overall, man, I like it. And I'm curious to see if you actually, what you think of this album. So what do you think of this album? Well, so this album is not in the category of Motley 94, but it's close for me. I've okay. tried and tried and tried, and there are a few there are a few songs that I like, and I actually do like the songs uh, Stand. And, but to me, it's kind of like when, um, when Van Halen brought Sammy in, and they're like, oh my God, we have this other element of this vocal range. We can mm-hmm. really utilize this. And you could hear that like a mofo on with Richie Cotton's yeah. voice because dude's got a fantastic voice, singing yeah. voice to the point where I bet Brett was like either, uh-oh, or, <laughs> oh, this is killer. Like, this yeah. is killer. Like, I can, I can really sit back and let him take over the background a little bit more. But I believe you had discussed it on uh, an interview or you kind of, I know, I heard you discuss it before. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I'm going to give it another shot. And it was within this year. And I like it. It's just, I don't know, man. I'm such a believer in poison being poison. Yeah. And this was a natural progression. I totally agree because they did start with the bluesier stuff on Flesh and Blood. But it was still kind of catchy yeah. blues rock stuff. You know, even songs like like Ball and Chain on that album mm-hmm. oh, yeah. were kind of going down that alley, but you still had that, like, really catchiness. Um, this album doesn't jump out to me. Trust me, I've tried. Mm-hmm. I've listened. I've wanted to really get into this and crack a smile. But I can't. They're another... They're another band with big, a big three pretty much for me so i'm close with this one and maybe someday i'll get there with my more mature mm-hmm. ear but <laughs> right now i'm still in i'm still on the outside looking in a little bit yeah you know i think the problem with me sometimes is okay i, I want to just throw this out there there's two singers that really i enjoyed back when i first got into music and it's vince neal and Brett Michaels. Those are guys that I always try yeah. to copy and, and I thought they were cool. And I think I'm a sucker for these guys. Like I, a lot of times, like they could put out like a piece of shit album and I probably will like it. And it's the same Kiss is no different. You know, there's some shit kiss stuff that I'm like, I don't like that. You know what I mean? But everybody else is like, no man, it sucks. I don't but it's KISS, I like it, you know. And I think that's how I can be sometimes with Vince Neal and uh, Brett Michaels. Uh, I think Holly Weird sucks. Like, I don't care. I don't care how much I like Brett Michaels. I still no. think Holly Weird sucks. And I think most of his solo albums 
uh, from what I can tell, suck. I hate to say that, but um, but even like Vince Neil, like I like carved in stone, and everybody hates that. You know what I mean? I think Vince probably hates it, but you know, because it has his voice on it, I like it, and that's that's, that's just the way true. I am. You know? Well, I think with that, it's they're both guys that you look at and you, you go, oh, you know, they got it just yeah. in their look alone, and then and then you listen to them, and you go, God. That ain't too tough to do. It's very <laughs> unique. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, unique, like, it's, though, yeah. it's very unique. And that's the thing with, with Vince and Brett. They both have that, that animal magnetism that, that just, that, oh my God, these guys really have it when it comes to their look. And then they have it because of their voice a little bit. Um, but you could almost like emulate it or try yeah. to try to be that a little bit. And you might even achieve that. Uh, so that might be the draw to these guys, yeah. but they absolutely had their niche, and and it obviously worked really well for them. Yo, sure. Well, we're getting to the top three, man. This is the big stuff. What do you got, number three? Funny you should mention it. Vince Neil exposed. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, while while Motley was doing was was effing around with whatever you wanna call Motley ninety four, Vince was busy being a true eighties ripper on this album. <laughs> so you know He made he made Doctor <laughs> Feel Good part two, or at least in his own mind he did, right? That's exactly it. So you know, you got him teaming up with Steve Stevens and a number of other rippers from that era. And they came out with a great hard rock album. I mean, you got songs like Sister of Pain. You got You're Invited, But Your Friend Can't Come, which is one of those rare hits I really never get sick of. Like, mm-hmm. if you really yeah, want to get pumped up, like, that's the song for me. So, I love, I love that song. I love the video. And I love the video version. I'm not sure if you've ever... It's I, different. I'm sure you have, but it's a, a lot of people probably haven't realized this but I, i'm probably sure you have but you know in the video version they stop all the instrumentation after the solo for that one huge chorus yeah but then on the album they play through which yes. kind of bummed me out because i really liked it when they stop and they do the the huge wow and then they do the invited but your friend can't come and it, it works so well it's one of those times when yeah you do want to stop the instrumentation and listen to that. So, kind of bummed they didn't do it on the actual album, but the video is killer nonetheless. Um, and then there's Fine Fine Wine. That that's one of those songs that has such a killer bass, yeah, baseline bass, yeah. hard rock. It, it yeah, it's just got the one of those baseline hard rock intros that it's just ooh, you can tell it's going to be a sexy one. I like it a lot. So that that's one of those those songs. But there are a couple that I'm not too stoked on. That yeah. is can't change me. And getting hard. Those getting are not hard. my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Those are not my favorites on the album, but, you oh know, or whatever. So, I do dig the, the ballad forever. It is. And right. I will admit that it's a thousand times better than Time for Change off of Dr. Mm-hmm. Feelgood. And as a side note, had Dr. Feelgood had a big ballad, it would have made that album even bigger. Mm-hmm. Bigger than it was. Bigger than the six million seller it was. So... This is my number three, and obviously I'm pretty into it. <laughs> so I, I could probably, 
probably talk all night about Vince Expo, uh, Vince Neal Exposed. It was one of those, another one of those where like kind of passed on it in the beginning and then got it and then was and actually immediately realized that it was a foolish move not to get it right when it came out because I loved it. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. And what I gotta say, man, and, and you touched on at least one track. I, for, I kind of forgot about Getting Hard. I try to forget about that song for a lot of different reasons. Uh, maybe the title just in general, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but, but I think it's some of Vince's cheesiest stuff. And I think it's some of his best. And that's what's kind of weird about yeah. that album because I can look at like almost song for song, like these, like Sister of Pain and uh, and and Have Your Cake and Eat It Too. Like these are some of the most cliche, goofiest lyrics and songs that you could ever have. <laughs> but then oh, you yeah. get to stuff like Look in Her Eyes and The Edge. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Living is a Luxury is my favorite song on the album. I love that song. Oh, nice. And uh, it's just. I don't know, man. It, it, the album is kind of hard to comprehend because of that, and especially the song, um, the the sweet cover, set me free. It's so heavy and oh, yeah. jamming, you know. So, and Steve Stevens, man, he makes this album because he, his guitar work is just insane. You know, between the shredding, the the laser sounds, the Spanish classical guitar. I mean, he's going places like he's going friggin' mental on this album, man. And uh, and Vince, once again, I. I always wanted to know what Vince's musical vision was because we know Motley Crue is Nikki Six's musical vision. Now, Vince has credits on this album, but I think there probably some people would argue that like Jack Blades and, and Tommy Shaw and all these different guys, you know, wrote wrote a lot of these songs for him. I don't know, you know what I mean? But it's good. And you know, I like Can't Change Me. I dig all that like classical guitar in it. I, I think that's pretty cool. And I mm-hmm. do like Forever as well. But yeah, man. Uh you know, Vince came out of the gate first. Uh, with an album and he definitely was he was true to what he was about you know what i mean and and uh he can be proud because this album has aged well like fine fine wine so oh killer look at you i like that you know what though i think vince doesn't know how to be anything else but this like yes look at him trying to adapt in into the like end of the 90s and early where he is now like I don't think he knows any different, which makes no. him that much more killer to me, yeah. dude. Like, I, I Vince is, is my number one when it comes to this this whole thing. So, just like you, you know, like you're going to be a Vince fan forever. Um, but how about the other thing? You ever notice that that the kind of one of the weird uh, visual themes on this whole uh, solo era thing was he didn't ever wear shoes. You ever notice that? <laughs> like in the yeah, video, yeah, where you yeah. invite a bunch of friends yeah. to come, as well as the, the MTV. Uh, they did the MTV awards ceremony yep, when they came out with this that. album, and he was super pumped because he beat Motley to the punch. Yep, and he beat him with something that was really freaking killer. Being you invite a bunch of friends can't come. Yep, it was on a soundtrack of a decently successful movie, and he got to come out and have a ripping band with a bunch of good-looking dudes yeah. and famous dudes famous dudes, and play that song and do well and wore no shoes, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, because yeah, I think at that, <laughs> at that <laughs> performance, he had uh, Phil Suzanne on bass, and, and uh, but I think he was out after, and then it was Robbie Crane, and then Vicky Fox was on drums. You know, So he he had some That's heavy it. hitters in there, man. And I forgot to say, of course, without I didn't say this, but it's, it should go without saying, his voice sounds killer on this album, so... Yes, exactly. He does a little bit more of that, like, kind of hoarse, primal scream voice mm-hmm. yep. on this album, more so than, let's say, like a 
raise your hands to rock squeaky bin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. He's which got is fine. Balls. Which yep. is fine. Yeah. But hey, that's why we're such big fans. They can tell the difference. That's right, man. <laughs> well, what do we got? I'm dying to hear number two. What's number two? Well, that, my, that was my number three. Have you done your number three? Oh, that was my number three. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mention that. That's why I went so deep into detail. That was my number three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So we're there ready you for go. two. Okay, cool. We're ready for two. Uh, all right, number two. So I was wondering, I was like, God, you have to have it on your list. I oh, yeah. It's number three, remember? <laughs> it could have been number one if so, it wasn't for some of those goofy songs. If you just if it was a little bit more consistent, it probably could have been number one. All right, cool. All right, well, my number two is Danger, Danger, Cockroach, the the, the Ted Poley version, okay? I got I to gotta preface it by saying, first off, I confirmed on their own damn official website <laughs> that this was recorded in 1993, okay? It was released finally in 19, or, uh, 2001, okay. but it was recorded in 93. So the Paul Lane version was recorded in 94, so maybe if we ever do 94, I'll throw that one in there. <laughs> but, uh, Produced by this, Sammy Hagar. Um, yes, exactly. Of course, yeah. There's probably got, there's got to be a Sammy. There's got to be a Sammy reference on it. So, uh... <laughs> Maybe even some ACDC Live album, like uh, anyway. so, uh, <laughs> so, so this is a strange one. So, you know, they switched singers after after Polly recorded the album, and then they re-recorded it with Paul Lane. And this is legitimately one of those Brian Johnson, Bon Scott, Sammy Hager, David Lee Roth things for me, where I really, really like both singers a lot. Uh-huh. Um, Paul Lane had a great solo record, and his stuff with Danger Danger was just killer. Like, I really like this dude's voice. I think Paul Lane's voice actually fits the songs on Cockroach better mm-hmm. than Polly. Yeah. For this album specifically. But on the flip side, I couldn't see Paul Lane or anyone else really doing what Polly did on the first two Danger Danger albums. No. So, you know, it's it's a really, it's a healthy trade off and it, it's of the era. So, but I mean, dude, you got songs like Good Time, Going, Going, Gone. When she's good, she's good. Shot of love, and then you know I rarely mention ballads, but everybody's got a sweet spot, of course. But this one, ballad called "Afraid of Love," is it's legit in my top five of ballads of all time. If you haven't heard it, dude, it's killer. It, it kind of gets into the mid-tempo um, classification, but it's still a ballad, you know, especially because the title. But dude, it's it's so good. Um, but this, yeah, this album stands right up next to the first two. Like, I, I don't even know where I'm at in terms of my ranking of the, the first three Danger Danger albums, but I might put Screw It first. But Get the hell out of here. Close. <laughs> I know, I know. Ain't no bitch, it's not monkey business. <laughs> oh, come on. I- I think mean, I it's I a commercial. That, that get that one with with the stay alive from a native tongue and a monkey business. You got some good jingles right there. I know, but dude, think about how how deep they go on screw it with slip to the big one. <laughs> I mean, what's that talking about? Oh, wow, yeah, they get anyway, deep on that one. Yeah, <laughs> and you you could you could take deep literally or figuratively. Yes, yeah, anyway, exactly. but besides that, so. I don't know. This this album's so good, man. I, I had a friend back in the in the uh, early two thousands that used to preach this. I had never heard at that point, 
And he's like, man, have you ever heard cockroach, though? I'm like, cockroach sounds like some dumb 2001 90s album. Yeah. But dude, like, going, going, gone, like, shot of love. Like, these are, these are, very, but this, these guys wrote very catchy songs. They knew what they were doing. Oh, like Jeff Paris, man. They knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's why it's my number two, even ahead of a huge act like Vince Neil. You know, I, this one, I never even really knew about it until like a few years ago. Somebody on uh, Twitter tagged me on it and said, I mean, you got to listen to this cockroach. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So so I popped it on and I was like, whoa, this is good. And I think at that point I, I listened yeah. to both. I listened to the Pauline, which I think it sounded killer. I, I mean, I wasn't super familiar with Paul Lane. I remember he was the replacement guy in Danger Danger, but, you know, that sounded really cool. The Ted Poley one sounded cool. There's just something about Ted. He's another one of those ones. Like, even as much as I'm not, like, a, a Danger Danger freak, I love Ted Poley's voice. You know what I mean? And I, I oh, yeah. it's on something, yeah. it, it definitely works for me. So the only reason I couldn't put Cockroach on a, a list for me is I just haven't had enough time to, to – I haven't lived with it like I have with some of these other albums. But I do respect it. I think it's super cool, and, and uh, I'm going to definitely check it out more. But, but yeah, that's just why I couldn't put it on. But it is great. Yeah, I, I'd give it a, a healthy shot. There, there's about half the songs on there that are um – they're definitely hinting towards getting a little too hard for Danger Danger, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, they're already tending that direction. But then there's half the songs, like the probably all the ones I mentioned, obviously, that are just like melodic rock perfection. And um, I have a feeling that, that uh, Bruno Lavelle is, is the main songwriter and he's yeah. the bass player. He's kind of the Nicky, Nicky Six of the band. Yep. He... Man, he writes a hell of a song. So, um, I bet you those were songs that he had cooking from the the uh, '80s ish era, early '90s era, and, and had to throw them on here because they were just too damn good. Mm-hmm. So, dude, it got really tough for me. It was a toss up between one and two. I was like, man, that was two of my favorite albums of all time, and I didn't know what to do. And eventually, you just had to make a decision. Number two, man, I got Lillian Axe, uh, Psycho Schizophrenia. It, it, it is my favorite Lillian Axe album. I think it's, I can just listen to every, the whole way through. It's just, it's, it's, I listen to every song and it just, it all, the whole thing just fits together so well. I think it's a perfect mix of like, it still has that 80s sensibility, but it's moving forward mm-hmm. into like what music could be. And it's definitely not following any trends. It's not trying to be grunge. It's not trying to be heavy. Although it is heavy, it's just, you could tell it's, Stevie Blaze was in the zone. You know, he wrote this album all on his own, the lyrics, the music, and he had a, a oh, really wow. specific vision and he executed it perfectly. And especially when you got somebody as awesome as Ron Taylor singing on it, of course it's going to be good. Yeah, um, I mean, Crucified, Deep Freeze, Moonlight in Your Blood, Now You Know. And I'm telling you, if you, there's a tearjerker on here, man. The day that I met you. I just I always hope that someday somebody will redo this song like a modern pop artist or somebody. It's just an acoustic and a vocal and Ron Taylor's voice is just so good and it's the song is it's pretty emotional man. It's pretty cool and it ends with the kick ass heavy title track. Um I, I'm I'm bummed that it's not number 1, but I'm super happy about what is number 1. So that that is my number 2. All right. So 
little history with me here is I bought Poetic Justice first because that's what I found first. Yep. The first two albums I could not find anywhere. And mind you, this is the days before streaming or internet stuff where I could just click and listen. So Poetic Justice and I get along really well. I found this album, I put it on, and it may have sounded a little bit too 90s for me. Mm-hmm. And I never listened to it again. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, hanging up. <laughs> I, should... <laughs> I know, dude. So, is there any connection to Fields of Yesterday with this album, or is that just um, older songs they re-released? Fields of Yesterday are songs that they were cooking up between. I, I believe not all of them, but the majority of them are between Love and War and Poetic Justice. They didn't make the album. Um, but I think it's... Okay, because that's a hell of an album. It's a hell of an album. I actually just listened to it. I listened to it last night. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, oh, okay. as you go along, there are tracks that they were kind of kicking around in the more modern era. But, um, but yeah. yeah, but yeah, the first few, I believe, are because I asked him about that in... Uh, I, I thought that's what he said, but or maybe that's in the liner notes. But yeah, th- that's the era those are from. Uh, as a comparison, would like a Death Valley Days or anything compare to anything on Psych the Schizophrenia, yeah. or am I am I off in that? Is it comparable? Yeah. No. Or like for crying out loud or anything no. like that. No. Psycho Schizophrenia is nothing like anything on on Fields of In my opinion, yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to check it out. And actually, obviously, in, in doing research. For '93, I was, oh yeah, that that album came out, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a better look from here on out. So yeah, I had a feeling it would be up there in your top ten, and now I realize, uh, you know, why it's probably such a great album. So I'm always down for more on Taylor Lillian. So yeah, it, again, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to really check it out. I'll I'll, I'll send you some key tracks you need to hear. <laughs> Okay, perfect, thanks. All right, all right, man, what's number one? I, I have no clue. The suspense is killing me. What's number one? All right, dude. Number one for me is the Scorpion Face the Heat. Oh, Face the Heat. That's right. Okay, that, I forgot it has not reappeared since I talked about it. Awesome, man. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on Face the Heat? Oh, man, this one means a lot to me, so... This is the end of my Scorpions era. So my go-to Scorpions era is 82 to 93, man. It got blackout to face the heat. Like, it doesn't get much better of an era of albums than those for me. Like, every album in from 82 to 93 was just, dude, you can listen to it through and through. Um, but I got into the Scorpions around this, around this album's release about 94, 95, when I was really getting into other stuff because I had I had not tapped out on my ACDC but it was I had fulfilled all my ACDC love at that point because they had not released a new album so I started like you know poking around who sounds like ACDC who's who's in the genre and Scorpions were obviously one of the first big bands along with Crocus and Y&T and those guys so 95 I bought this album and I was like oh my god like I've heard the Scorpions, obviously. Everybody knows the bigger hits, but dude, this is this is an album that I played through and through probably more than any other Scorpions album I own, even Savage Amusement or Love It for Sting or anything like that. So I spun this thing over and over and over. 
And to this day, I'm probably more familiar with this album than any other Scorpions album out there, which is crazy. But I just love like the aggression of this album, but it's still keeping that signature Scorpion sound and the big giant hooks. So yeah, this is the last time they feature Herman Robo and they brought in that new bass player, like you said. Yep. But you got songs like Someone to Touch and Hate to Be Nice and Nightmare Avenue. And you got Alien Nation with that huge guitar intro. Get no pain. Exactly. You got that. You got um, no pain, no gain with almost an even bigger guitar and drum sound. Like that bottom end was just was just big, big on this album. I just, I it, maybe it was the inclusion of that new bass player, but it was just killer. So. Other things, like, this is just the most killer Scorpion image, album cover. I mean, like, yeah, you can't really beat by the first thing album cover, obviously, or Blackout. <laughs> right. But this album cover was cool. It was kind of the end of that era. Their look was cool. And their comfort level in, in not doing, like, the Savage image, sorry, like the Savage Amusement label pressure look with the neons and the pinks in the late 80s stuff. It's just that harder, harder, crazy world version of the Scorpions. So, anyway, this is why it's my number one. And uh, also, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but there is that hidden track at the very end, if you let Lonely Nights, I think it's Lonely Nights is the last song, if you let it play, um, I believe they do an Elvis cover mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, at the end of the, the album. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to hear Klaus doing anything, pretty much. But, you know, this is just one of those, Never gets old for me. Good look, good sound, big sound, and it really is kind of the end of the era for me for it's, my for my love for the Scorpions. I mean, I dig their their albums after that, but this is the big, the last big '80s Scorpions sound. Yep. So yeah, that's why it's my number one, dude. It's it's huge for me. Yeah, it's great. And um, you know what, man? You know, one album that you didn't mention in your run of, of albums, go back sometime and, and give give some love to Love Drive. I listened to Love Drive the other day, and I it was, oh yeah, yeah, totally. It was blowing me away, man. I think when well, as soon as they got the polygram, they kick ass. So I love Love Drive, and I love Animal Magnetism. So that's why I go. I usually go Love Drive. I go Love Drive to Savage Amusement because for me, Crazy World is kind of eh, kind of weak. But this is, I like this better than Crazy World, in my opinion. So You like Face the Heat better than Crazy oh, World? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, there's some killer shit on Crazy World, like TV Please Me, obviously, is the, the yeah. single. But, um, like, Kicks After Six, Hit Between the Eyes, Hit like, the eyes. those are good. And then you got a really, really kind of relaxed, sentimental ba uh, ballad in, in Send Me an Angel. Yeah. But Love Drive, no, dude, I, I dig Love Drive. It, it's a 70s album, it's, it's 79, but... Yep. Yeah, loving you Sunday morning. Oh yeah, um, yeah, dude. I mean, and the song Love Drive, of course. They have um, Holiday on there, and yeah, they so made good. these. They they made those songs for me uh, in regards to like when I discovered Love Drive on um, Worldwide Live. Oh because yeah, loving yeah. you Sunday morning is yeah, dude. Like loving you Sunday morning is one of those songs where. Not many other bands could pull it off live, dude. Like, the fact that, that Klaus can do that song live and, and make it sound so perfect, trust me, like, I don't know actually why I didn't say, like, a 79 to 93 um, era of Scorps, but I think I chose Blackout just because they got a little bit more 80s-ish sounding oh, hard yeah. on that album. Yeah. Even though 
79 make you know it, it's pretty much when they started it all with the zoo and make it real and all that stuff oh yeah so anyway but yeah the, the scorpions are just dude they're like like the endless the endless band when it comes to like discovery it's a little bit like judas priest race uh-huh. you see where you just go dude here's yet another album like and we're gonna go back to the, the dirty deeds done dirt cheap or the the british steel or whatever yeah. where you're like dude it's just so consistent all the time if you want to go back to that stuff but then you bump it up to the early 90s and they're still kicking ass and uh kind of um making it their time so yeah anyway that's my number one My number one is your number 10, man. Sabotage beats them all out, and I just love this album. I'm a huge Sabotage nut. And nice, uh, dude. luckily, I've already talked a little bit about this, so I can probably keep it. I can cut down some of my comments. I can I can cut down on the book here, my essay that I wrote. But uh, anyways, um, <laughs> actually, the cool thing was I saw him on this tour, and I probably got oh, to cool. see Chris Oliva a few months before he passed away. And this, uh, he actually, the anniversary of his death was just a couple days ago, I think. And uh, I put it out on Twitter. Oh, wow. And somebody had said, um, I think it was um, Andy on Twitter, that he, he said that uh, he was, uh, that uh, Chris Oliva was on the way to a festival show. And Andy was actually at the concert and all the news was going out throughout the crowd, people talking about it. That, oh, something happened. There was an accident. Oh, Chris Oliva died. So I didn't realize that he was on the way to a show. So just funny, all these years I didn't know that. But that had to have really sucked uh, on a lot of levels, you know, and it, it was a tragic loss. But um, he's still around for this album. So let's talk about, you know, the great music that he made uh, with his brother and Paul O'Neill. Um, I think in nine. Oh, oh okay. I did a podcast where I talk about albums that let me down. And one album that let me down was Streets uh, because I really uh-huh. loved Gutter Ballet. And then Streets was like, I wanted to love it. For some reason, I just didn't. And then when we get to this album, there's a lot of concern, right? We got a vocal change, vocalist change. Uh, wasn't really impressed with the album before it. What's going to happen? But to me, they totally redeemed themselves. Picked up right where they left off from Gutter Ballet. A lot of epic stuff. Like you said, there's times where the piano's in there. Um, and it's just just such well written songs, and the heavy stuff is is heavy and kick ass. Carves a stone, lights out. Then you've got like the power ballady type stuff, like Follow Me. And the thing I love about Follow Me is that there's this one part where it just breaks down, and, and his voice follows like a like a riff. Man only sees what he yes. wants to see, living in a world that is straight yep. from reality. I mean, it's so weird, you know what I mean? Like nobody does that, you know. Uh, so it was really creative. All That I Bleed is such a crazy power battle. You know what I mean? It's it's all really soft and talking about this love letter, about somebody, you know, breaking your heart. And then you get to the chorus, jing, jing, jing. You know, it's wicked crunchy. Um, I think this is their best songs they've, they wrote together. And one song that gets me choked up all the time, and I don't know why, is Sleep, man. I'm telling you, when I die, I want Sleep played at my funeral. There's something about that song. It's just so, it's just acoustic. And the vocals with his voice, and I know he didn't write that song, but man, he—it's just—it's so cool. So uh, just I let that album speak for itself. You know, listen to the music. Doesn't matter what I say about it, what you say about it, what what the even what the members said about it. I've talked to, like I said, a lot of them. Just listen to that album. You can listen to it all the way through. There ain't a bad song on it. Um, 
it's just a masterpiece. It, it, it belongs at number one. And me just verbalizing everything I did makes me realize that was the right choice. Um, it's got great production. It's just it's just a winner, man. Zach and Zach Stevens. I was introduced to Zach Stevens and immediately fell in love with that voice. And uh, and he's still rocking today. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we get another Sabotage album. Absolutely. Dude, I listen to all the, your interviews with those guys, and um, this album is one of those where it grows on you over and over. Yep. It's pretty cool that you, you being a you know, Queen fan and, and this and that, you get a metal Queen. You know, yep. that's what this, that's what this band be, it, be kind of became. And, you know, Hall of the Mountain King and their albums before that, compared to this one, they really matured. They did. And, yeah, I, really, and I really like the fact that, um, and, and I know you guys have discussed it, but people came in and they, they, tried, they tried to emulate the, the albums prior. Yeah. And then Zach Stevens came in and, and he just, he just kicked ass in his own way, yep. and the guy has such 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 a cool such a cool voice. The way he can he's a little bit like you know Harry has from the band uh, Harem Scarum. Mm-hmm. He could go very low. Like I, I wonder if his speaking voice is real low, but he goes very low and really high. Zach Stevens, it doesn't sound like he's going to have that much range, and then all of a sudden he'll just bust out. And yeah, you're he like, go real high, dude. This guy's got such an impressive range. Yep. So cool. And he fits the band so well. And they needed that for the style they were going through at the time. Yep. Um, this is one of those growers where you can listen to it over and over and probably find something new and exciting um, every time you listen to it. So yep. I was thinking it would be your number one, and I'm sure glad it was because I, I certainly um, uh, appreciate the, the passion you have for this band and in this album, especially, so yeah, for sure. Dude, man. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna delve into it harder and harder because this this is one of those albums that like I've had for years and I've listened to it over and over for years, but obviously not as uh, close as you have. But I'm gonna from now on. It's it's a really cool one. Nice man. Well, what do you got for for um, some quick um, what do we call them honorable mentions? Because I had yeah. a few, man. Oh, yeah. Dude, I, I, I had a few that got kicked off, and I was like, "Damn, I really wanted to put." There's two that I really wanted, to, maybe even three that I wanted in there, but I they had to go. But what do you got, dude? You know what? Did you want to put Arcade in there? Um, yeah, I, Ar- Arcade never registered with me. I don't know. I don't know why. Okay, yeah. Sorry. And that's the thing is, so I have Arcade in there, but the reason why, you know, dude, I have a rat tattoo on my back. Mm-hmm. I have the R from the. Uh, uh, Reach for the Sky album and Detonator on my back and of course my initials are under it because my initials are RBK yep. so it kind of worked out but I mean I freaking love Rat and I love Piercy but this album it sounded like um, what would be like pre-EP Rat uh, in terms of Piercy's production of his voice mm-hmm. so I wasn't huge on it I like the album but it, it, it's not Rat to me so I have it's, Arcade yeah. I got Dio Strange Highways I got Coverdale Page. They kind of mm, on the side. I got fight. Shit, man! I forgot I, about Coverdale Page. I definitely would have had that on my list. Damn it, dude! I know Damn it's it. killer, but like, uh, it was a little bit too much. Wannabe Zeppelin to yeah, me. I know it's gonna it probably kind of piss people off, but like, I don't know, dude. I, I love David Coverdale, and I, I 
to me, this kind of was like, okay, were you just pretending the whole time from 87? <laughs> in those two, like, were you pretending to be 80s guy, but you're really rooted in your 70s, the purple roots, and then you finally got to go back to it with your Jimmy Page partnership? Like, that kind of screams in this album for me. So I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, dude, you're not as... 86 as I thought you were <laughs> but I, I mean I still like it but whatever and then uh, a band called Red Dawn album called Never Safe Surrender it's very 80s it's very like 80s AOR but it's freaking killer and then as kind of a uh, a joke is Last Action Hero soundtrack I got really that in mind too on ACDC. it's so Did good that, dude? oh my god it's so it's good that, Dude, it's killer. It's got Queensryche, it's got Megadeth, it's got Last X, or uh, Tesla, Tesla, it's got ACDC, it's got Def Leppard, dude, so I had it on there. Yep. Uh, and yeah. that's it, and then I had Fight, and then I had Fight. So okay. that's my honorable mention. Well, I am completely pissed that I don't have covered El Page on my life. Once again, now I don't know where it would have shaken out. I don't know where it might shake my tree, right? I don't know where it would have shaken out. Yeah, I was going to say, shake um, my tree. Um, I don't know, but I am bummed because there are, I've been on some pretty hard benders with that album. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I, I like that album. The boys are feeling hot tonight. There's some cool songs on there. And, uh, and uh, Pride and Joy, Shake My Tree, It's Over Now. Damn, I like that album. But what is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my list i'm proud of it um but yeah last action hero man the real world queensrike oh wow what a song big i even even i like big gun i ain't even an acdc fan i like big gun you know what i mean uh oh good even it was cool you had like alice in chains and it was like everybody was playing together in the sandbox nicely on that one you know what I mean? you had some grunge and you had some battle you know it was nice um I, I wanted to put Aerosmith Get a Grip. I'm not much of an Aerosmith fan, but um, I always thought the song Ooh. Eat the Rich was so cool, man. I always love that. And Living on the Edge is cool. I don't, there's some cool songs on there. So I got to give Aerosmith yeah. a nod. Uh, I, I, I wanted to put Anthrax Sound of White Noise. I love um, Only and Potter's Field. and uh, There's just so many cool tracks. Um, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. I know it's not metal. But it's got some great yeah, tracks, man. Good. And that was an album senior year, man. I was enjoying it. And Typo Negative, Bloody Kisses. That is so, I mean, that album was so heavy, so weird. <laughs> it's so good. But uh, those are my uh, honorables. Well, that, those are good ones, man. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the fact that the Last Action Hero soundtrack for you and me was both on there is pretty awesome. Oh, but yeah. can I just mention that AC, ACDC sure chose some shit movies to to be their, their soundtrack, <laughs> both, both in Maximum Overdrive and Last Action Hero. But they redeemed themselves with Iron Man with the, the, the soundtrack on that one. They so are, that, yeah, they okay. redeemed. Oh, big time, big time. Well, man, this yeah. was fun. We, we went deep into this one, so I'm glad. This was, this was a great year, and people got to give this year some respect. This is good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of the end of some things, but yep. um, I love it. It ended up being a great year. I, I still think my 92 choice is, is my year but you know what this isn't far behind awesome all right brother thanks as always have a good one yeah you got it man thanks i'll talk to you later talk to you bye well that was a long-winded discussion about a great year hope you enjoyed it rock on